I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, I you reached Leaves of Glen, where I read the hottest in public domain books and short stories. Uh, this week, because I got nothing going on, I'm going to continue reading from uh, the Blue Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. Uh, this week's story being uh, Puss in Boots, which should be delightful, whimsical little story about a, a precocious cat that has the power of man. Uh, this was the first out of 25 books of collected fantasy stories gathered from sources all over the world. Uh, there's much to say about the author. It's just a guy who sent his wife out to gather up all these folk tales uh, told by word of mouth from wealthy, aristocratic, uh, mostly ladies. And then uh, the wife did all the translating and, the, and everything. And Andrew Lang, like I said before, just slapped his name on it. Normally, this is the point of the story where I use my 22-year-old six-toed cat named Sixer, and that is all true, uh, as a kind of a, a way to shoehorn in some weird facts about something mildly related. But I can't find anything mildly related that's interesting about Puss in Boots. Uh, there's been multiple authors on the uh, helpful cat line of storytelling, and they're all boring. Uh, then there's some back and forth about which author wrote the first one, but who really cares uh, who was the first to invent the helpful cat line of uh, fairy tales. So, I'll just talk about how this Thanksgiving, I originally planned on having it alone, but the last minute my kids were around. So that's nice. Uh, I originally planned on making a huge turkey dinner all for myself with stuffing and mashed potatoes and cranberry stuff and, and then the whole works. And I was going to take pictures of it and send it to all my friends to, I don't know, passive aggressively let them know I'm spending Thanksgiving alone. Uh, but they, uh, but the kids were around and I told my daughters, uh, I could still make a big dinner, but I know you guys aren't going to want to eat it. So it kind of loses the hilarity of the joke of being by myself and not eating it. If I'm with you guys and you're not eating it. So, uh, my oldest daughter sweetly said, ah, you'd screw it up anyways. I'll help you make that turkey. I said, really? She said, yeah. So we went to the grocery store. And we bought a turkey, and I don't have things like a thermometer or a, to baste with. So she said, uh, you got to get all these things. And she started kind of yelling at me at the grocery store as if I was married all over again. Which was brought back fond memories of my divorce. And so uh, we got the turkey, we got all the stuff, and we started cooking it. And making a turkey is disgusting. Uh, I'm a meat eater. I've always enjoyed eating meat, but I've never actually had to kill an animal. Uh, my, my dad used to hunt grouse at the cabin, and they're tiny little birds. So he'd bring them back, and he'd have me, one time, scoop out the insides of the grouse, and I remember that, 
because uh, it was gross and it was cold and my fingers are freezing. And uh, I was pulling out little hearts and stuff, and it was kind of gross. This is a big old turkey, which is a whole different story. Uh, so getting all the gook out and then uh, doing the stuff and then cooking it and then cutting it up afterwards and breaking bones and cutting through it, it the whole thing was disgusting. And by the end of it, uh, my daughters and I all sat down with our meal, and we had some of it, and my youngest daughter won't eat meat because it's too rubbery and gross. Nah, not for ideological reasons, it's just gross and rubbery and gross. And uh, my oldest daughter and I finally understood what she's talking about because everything was disgusting, the process was disgusting, uh, the skin on it was disturbing, there's a couple feathers on it, too. And so, uh, yeah, in the end, we decided, uh, I said, I'm never eating turkey again. And my oldest daughter said, me neither. And my youngest daughter said, you morons, now you get it. And uh, today, being the day after Thanksgiving, my uh, ex-wife scooped it up because she's got their own turkey dinner, which, unfortunately, I ruined uh, for them by making my kids hate turkeys. Well, with that... This clock is going off. Let's dive into our story. The Master Cat or Puss in Boots. Ah, there was a miller who left no more estate to the three sons he had than his mill, his ass, and his cat. The partition was soon made. Neither Scrivener nor attorney was sent for. Uh, They would soon have eaten up all the poor patrimony. The eldest had the mill, the the second, the, the ass, and the youngest, nothing but the cat. The poor young fellow was quite comfortless at having so poor a lot. Uh, my, my brothers, said he, uh, may get their living handsomely enough by joining their stocks together, but, but for my part, when I've, when I've eaten up my cat, burp, and made me, a, made me a muff of his skin, I must die of hunger. Uh, the cat, who heard all this, but made as if he did not, said to him with a grave and serious air, uh, Do not thus afflict yourself, my good master. You have nothing else to do but to give me a bag and get a pair of boots made for me that I may scamper through the dirt and the brambles, and you shall see that you have not uh, so bad a portion in me as you might imagine. The cat's master did not build very much upon what he said. Wow, so just like me with the stories about Sixer, uh, does not acknowledge that this cat spoke. And eloquently, too. My cat doesn't speak eloquently. He had often seen him play a great many cunning tricks to catch rats and mice, as when he used to hang by the heels or hide himself in the meal and make as if he were dead, so that he did not altogether despair of his affording him uh, some help in his miserable condition. When the cat had what he asked for, he booted himself very gallantly, and putting his bag about his neck, now he held the strings of it in his two forepaws and went into a warren where he was a great abundance of rabbits. He put bran and sow thistle into his bag, and stretching out at length as if he had been dead, he waited for some young rabbits, but not yet acquainted with the deceits of the world, to come and rummage his bag for what he had put into it. Scarce 
was he laying down, but he had what he wanted. A, a rash and foolish young rabbit uh, jumped into his bag, and Monsieur Puss, <laughs> immediately drawing close to strings, took and killed him without pity. Oh, God. <laughs> Proud of his prey, he went with it to the palace and asked to speak with his majesty. Can you do that? You kill a rabbit in a bag? Like, I gotta talk to the king about this. Uh, he was shown upstairs to the king's apartment, so no one's weirded out that a cat in little boots is walking around speaking English, and making a low reverence, said to him, I have brought you, sir, a rabbit of the warren, which my noble lord, the Marquis of Carabas, for that's what the title which Puss was pleased to give his master, has commanded me to present to your majesty from him. Uh, uh, tell thy master, said the king, that I thank him, and that he does me a, a great deal of pleasure. No one's acknowledging the cat talking or walking on hind legs. Another time, ah, he went and hid himself amongst some stadium corn, uh, uh, holding still his bag open, and with a, with a, with a brace of partridges ah, ran into it. He drew the strings and caught them both. Uh, did he kill them unmer like mercilessly? Uh, he went and made a present of these to the king, and uh, as he had done before of the rabbit which he took to the war. The king, in like manner, received the partridges with great pleasure and ordered him some money for a drink. Meanwhile, the guy that the cat is supposed to be owned by is back home starving, and this king is getting all the, uh, the rabbits and the pheasants. And the cat continued for two or three months thus to carry his majesty from time to time game of his master's taking. Oh, one day in particular, when he knew for certain that he was to take the heir along the riverside with his daughter, the most beautiful princess ah, in the world, uh, he said to his master, eh, if, you, if you allow me my advice, your fortune's made. Aye, you have nothing else to do but go and wash yourself in the river. Uh, in that part, I shall show you and uh, leave the rest to me. Uh, the Marquis of Carabas did what the cat advised him to do, without ever questioning that he can speak, without knowing why or wherefore. While he was washing, the, uh, the king passed by, and the cat began to cry out, hey, Help! Help! My Lord Marquis of Carabas is going to be drowned! At this noise, the king put his head out of the coach window, and finding it was the cat, Burp, who had so often brought him such a good game, he commanded his guards to run immediately to the assistance of the lordship of the Marquis of Carabas. While they were drawing the poor Marquis out of the river, now the cat came up to the coach, told the king that while his master was washing, there came by some rogues who went off with his clothes. Though he had cried out, thieves, ah, thieves, several times as loud as he could. How would that work? If someone stole something from my house, could I just stand in my doorway and shout thieves as they run down the street and that's going to work? They're going to turn around and give it back? And the cunning cat had hidden them under a great stone. The king immediately commanded the officers of his wardrobe to run and fetch one of his best suits for the Lord Marquis of Carabas. The king mm, caressed him. After a very extraordinary manner, and as the fine clothes had been given him, extremely set off his good mane, parentheses, for he was well made and very handsome in his person, end parentheses. The king's daughter uh, took a, sec a secret inclination mm, to him, and the Marquis of Carabas had no sooner cast two or three respectful and somewhat tender glances, but she fell in love with him to distraction. Oh, the king! 
would needs have him come into the coach and take part of the airing. The cad, quite overjoyed to see his prospect begin to succeed, marched on before and meeting with some countrymen who were meowing uh, in a meadow, oh, just other cats, he said to them, Not good people! You who are, oh, mowing. <laughs> I thought it was meowing. Well, I'm a moron. And if you do not tell the king that the meadow that you mow belongs to my lord, Marquis of Carabas, you shall be chopped as small as herbs for the pot. The king did not fail asking of the mowers whom the meadow they were mowing belonged. Who does that? I don't drive along into the rural parts of Minnesota pull over at the side of a farm and go, Whose land are you working? Uh, to my lord, Marquis of Carabas, answered they all together, for the cat's threats had made them terribly afraid. Well, yeah, it's a speaking cat that's wearing boots and walking on hind legs. I'd be terrified, too. It's like Satan. You see, sir, said the Marquis, this is a meadow which never fails to yield a plentiful harvest every year. Now the master cat, who went still on before, met with some reapers and said to them, Good people, you who are reaping, if you do not tell the king that all this corn belongs to the Marquis of Carabas, I should be chopped as small as herbs for the pot. Again, satanic cat, I'd be terrified too. The king, who passed by a moment after, <laughs> would needs to know whom all that corn which he then saw did belong. Again, weird. To my lord, Marquis of Carabas, replied the reapers, and the king was very well pleased with it, as well as the Marquis, who he congratulated thereupon. The master cat, who went always before, said the same words to all he met, and the king was astonished at the vast estates uh, of my lord, Marquis of Carabas. So this king can't get from point A uh, to point B without constantly harassing everyone he sees on the street. Monsieur Pousse, came at last to a stately castle, ah, the master of which was an ogre, the richest had ever been known. For all the lands which the king had then gone over belonged to the castle. And the cat, uh, who had taken care to inform himself uh, who this ogre was and uh, what he could do, asked to speak with him, saying he could not pass so near his castle without having the honor of paying his respects to him. The ogre received him as civilly as, a, as an ogre could do, and uh, made him sit down. Uh, I have been assured, said the cat, that you have the gift of being able to change yourself into all, uh, all sorts of creatures. You have a mind to. Uh, you can, for example, uh, transform yourself into a lion uh, or an elephant and the like. Uh, that is true, answered the ogre very briskly. And uh, to convince you, you shall see me uh, now uh, become a, a lion. Yeah, puss was so sadly terrified at the sight of the lion, so near to him that he immediately got into the gutter. Uh, now, there's a gutter nearby, not without abundance of trouble and danger because of his boots, which were of no use at all to him in walking upon the tops. A little while after, uh, when Puss saw the ogre had resumed his natural form, he came down and owned he had been very much frightened. I have been moreover informed, said the cat, but I now know uh, how to believe it, that you also have the power to take on, uh, on you the shape of the smallest of animals. For example, to change yourself into, hmm, I don't know, a rat uh, or a mouse, but I must own to you I take this to be impossible. 
So he just falls for that. A cat talking about changing himself to a mouse. Fine, whatever. Impossible, cried the ogre. Ah, you shall see that presently. And at that time, he changed himself to a mouse and began to uh, run about the floor. Ah, puss. No sooner perceived this than he fell upon him and ate him up. Meanwhile, uh, the king, who saw as he passed, ah, this fine castle of the ogres, uh, had a mind to go into it. Oh, you can just do that? Like if you're the mayor of, uh, oh, I don't know, Hopkins, Minnesota, you can just drive past a person's house and go, I'm going to go in there. I'm the mayor. Uh, Puss, who heard the noise of his majesty's coach running over the drawbridge, ran out and said to the king, oh, Your majesty is welcome to this castle of my lord Marquis of Carabas. Yeah, what? My lord Marquis, cried the king, what does this castle also belong to you? Uh, there can be nothing finer than this court and all the stately buildings which surround it. Uh, let us go into it, uh, if, you, if you please. The Marquis gave his hand to the princess and followed the king, who went first. They passed into a spacious hall, where they found a magnificent collation which the ogre had prepared for his friends who were that day to visit him, but dared not to enter, knowing the king was there. This is all weird. First of all, the king knows nothing about his kingdom. There's a guy that owns all this, according to him, finding this out today, all this land is owned by one person that got robbed by the river. Who? Why is he swimming in a river if he's a king? And then also he owns this gigantic castle that he's never heard about. And then also the ogres are staying away from the castle because they heard the king's in there, but they're ogres, so why would they care? Uh, his majesty was perfectly charmed with the good qualities of my lord Marquis of Carabas, as was his daughter, who had fallen violently in love with him. Violently in love with him. And, seeing the vast estate he possessed, said to him, after having drunk five or six glasses, uh, It will be owing to yourself only, my lord Marquis, if you are not my son-in-law. The Marquis, making several low bows, accepted the honor which his majesty conferred upon him, and forthwith, that very same day, married the princess. Puss became a great lord and never ran after mice any more, but only for his diversion. What did we learn here? Uh, we learned that, uh, just reviewing the story, a cat was willed to the youngest son, and he says, ah, I'm going to eat the cat and turn him into a muff, and then I'm going to starve to death, but I'll have a muff, and I'll look great. Uh, the cat suddenly speaks, and no one questions it, and it says, uh, let, me, let me catch some wild game for you. So that's going to be a lot of uh, rabbits and uh, pheasants or whatever. And then uh, instead of giving it to the guy who's starving, says, I'm taking this to the king. Goes to the king. King doesn't question if the cat could talk or walk around wearing boots. And uh, says, okay, well, that was great. Thanks. You, you, who, who's, who, who, who do you work for? He goes, ah, the Marquis of Carabas. And so that goes on. And then uh, then, he's, then he says, uh, go get in this water with the princess uh, and I'll hide your clothes and we'll say you got robbed. But I'm also going to pretend that you're royalty. So why is royalty swimming in a, a river or whatever, a stream? I don't know why that's the hangout for them. And why is he so naked and he got robbed? And also, again, if thieves are stealing from you, you're shouting thief and nothing happened. How does that work? I don't know. I said this already. But 
The king spends his time not knowing anything about his own kingdom and asking everyone, ah, look at this land. Who do you work for? Just that's all he ever says because he doesn't know anything about the land that he's the king over. And uh, then eventually uh, Ogre gets killed, uh, moves into that castle. All the other ogres are not dangerous. They're meek and they respect authority. So when a human king moves into the castle they're supposed to go hang out at, they're all like, oh, we're not going in there. A dangerous human king might trick us into making ourselves mice and get eaten or something. I don't know. And then in the end, uh, fools a king into marrying this uh, princess who's just getting worked into a lather over this mysterious man the whole time. Not because of his personality, but because of his perceived money. Which, if out of anything... Out of all these fairy tales I've read so far, which I'm personally getting tired of, and I'm thinking I'm going to move it on to a new book, uh, the theme seems to be, if you're underage, like 12, well, screw you, you're going to get married anyways. Uh, if you're related to somebody that wants to marry you, screw you, you're going to get married anyways. And also, uh, don't marry because you actually like the person. You just marry them because of their money and their stature. So in the end, uh, Puss gets to go off and do whatever he wants and just uh, hunt mice for fun now instead of survival. Uh, what's good about this story? Well, almost nothing. I guess maybe that there's no bigotry towards a talking, hind-leg-walking cat. Uh, that society seems to accept him without any comments or jokes or general bigotry. So that's the good thing. Uh, what sucks about this story? You got a talking cat that no one says, how do you know how to talk? Uh, just that alone can make you a ton of money and have notoriety. You don't need to hunt and trick kings. You can just, I have a talking cat, and he walks on his hind legs. Look, what's your name? My name's Phil. Yeah, what do you want to do? I want to go to college. Like, that, that alone could make you all the money in the world, and you'd be world-renowned and travel everywhere, and everyone wants to, wants to meet you. What do we learn about this? That human beings are petty, uh, materialistic, and uh, shallow people. All you need is a talking cat and the perception of wealth, and uh, everyone will give you what you want, and is that happiness? If someone marries you because they think you're rich and you happen to have a cat that can get you a free castle? There's got to be pitfalls to that. I don't know. Well, with, with that, uh, let's uh, move on to our next pre-recorded segment. Thanks for listening. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's, there's that. Well, uh, you can find me uh, at my website, nuzzlehouse.com, where I have a backlog of Everything I've ever read, uh, you can search for it by author, if you're a weirdo who's into that kind of thing. Uh, you can also find me on my completely dead and never used Instagram, at House Nuzzle, uh, which you'll never see me update. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at House Nuzzle, 
where uh, eh, you can leave me a message or something if you want. I post on there just when I have new episodes and nothing else. Or if you want to speak to me directly, you can email me at glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you in the next episode. Now let's see. I swear I still got one left down here. No. That one's got a cigarette button.